Hello and welcome back to Country Roads Confidential here at earsports.com. We're going to go baseball today and throw you a change up and talk about basketball before we talk about football. That was a bit of tennis because I was volleying it back and forth there. You have no idea what you're going to get here when you press play, so I apologize. And I say you're welcome. I am Mike Casaza, and across the border from me down in Richmond, Virginia, is Chris Anderson. Chris, uh, busy day. Were you expecting this, and, and how have you coped with all this information? This one with uh, Taj Thweet, who you're speaking of, committing for West Virginia, might have been the only one of the three that I was expecting at least right now, I, th- I did have a crystal ball pick in for Jalen Bridges, who committed yesterday, but that is not something I expected in any way, shape, or form this weekend. He had already set a commitment date for uh, Halloween, October 31st, uh, had been telling other people that, uh, you know, West Virginia wasn't even his top choice, that this official visit was almost a courtesy to Bob Huggins and and to his friends and family that loved West Virginia. So I think uh, that one really caught a lot of people off guard. All right. Well, don't give away the entire episode here. Let's talk about <laughs> everything that's happening, because when we did this, oh, 20 episodes ago, we were talking about some bad things that were happening and players who were visiting or who were down to the wire or who we thought had West Virginia and maybe nobody else from which to pick going to Auburn or kids taking visits on August 17th. Um, and a lot of people... You know, it, it was kind of like the kid of the pinata. West Virginia was kind of going in blind and swinging, and, and the pinata moved, and they were left with nothing. And here we are two months later, and it's very different. So big picture, it, let's go to the bookends here. Where we started, kind of questioning what was going on to where we are now, where we're, again, kind of questioning what's going on, but in a very different manner. Um, what has Bob Huggins accomplished Let's just say for recruiting in general, which I think we agreed wasn't broken because, by the way, Oscar's on campus. But also, there's some serious 2019 implications here because we haven't even mentioned the transfer from Arkansas, Gabe O. <laughs> and there's a chance that they're going for it this year because, they're, I mean, Bridges may play. Um, they're obviously building for next year and the year after with some of these other guys. But, I mean, it, it seems like things are back on track, correct? I think so. I think uh... – I think Huggins listened to this podcast, mm-hmm. uh, was already upset with you because you, you left the Bob Huggins fan club and started the Neil Brown fan club mm-hmm. and, and decided to take it out on on, on the recruiting trail. Um, he's kind of hit. We, we, we were joking about being left at the altar, like you said, and he has capitalized on some connections that he's had with these players, like Isaiah Cottrell, uh, four-star, top 100 kid for 2020, whose father played at West Virginia, who has family in West Virginia. His mother went to West Virginia. And those are, and then obviously Jalen Bridges being in Fairmont, just 20, 30 minutes away from Morgantown. These are the, those are the type of recruits that we, who as people who cover West Virginia and fans who are following West Virginia recruiting in, in all sports have seen those kind of connections, you, you know, hitting at a 50% rate there and you can't miss when you have uh, to borrow a phrase here a layup like that if you have that many connections with a guy like you did with oscar uh like you do with cottrell like you do with bridges you have to finish you have to capitalize on it and, and then try to fill in the gaps elsewhere and 
I think Huggins is in it. I mean, that's that's amazing. That's three for three with those guys. Three amazing players in three straight class or two classes, I guess, with Bridges reclassifying, but that have connections to West Virginia that West Virginia should get and did get, and it'll really help. Yeah, um, I, I want to spend more time on this, but let's get some of the procedural stuff out of the way and let's go in sequence of guys who committed and maybe not what they mean, but what can they do? How do they fit? The first one is is really kind of out of the blue. From, uh, from my neck of the woods, is from Akron, Ohio. Um, and Seth Wilson, who is a name with no stars, it doesn't mean anything because he's so far down the road, but it's kind of unexpected, but it does kind of make sense too. Yeah, West Virginia went and saw him uh, back in the spring in the summer evaluation periods. They extended him an offer, but a lot of times when you're that far out, what does an offer mean? Uh, you know, it, it's just a verbal, hey, we'd like you to come to our school. Is it committable? Uh, are this, is the staff really that serious about him? And from what I'm hearing, he, you know, was maybe a take, uh, you know, still obviously a, w- a ways off. And then he came up to campus, visited, connected with the coaches, connected with the players, and then played in this open gym, which for those of, who have not read some of the stuff that I've posted about basketball recruiting, open gym is a time when when the coaching staff cannot be there. They are not there. They are not evaluating these players, but the recruits are on campus and playing in pickup games with the current players who obviously newsflash will then report back how things went to the coaching staff um, and how guys do during these open gyms is a huge factor. Uh, I know that may not, it, that may sound nonsensical to some people, but it is a big factor. It, it means something, how they connect with these players, how they play with them on the court and how they stack up against these college players college basketball players and my understanding is that wilson who's a 2021 recruit uh which means he's a sophomore in high school or going into his junior year in high school played extremely well that he was one of the best players on the court and if you're doing that when you're that young that's a positive sign for now for the future and i think it kind of solidified his spot with west virginia and then and huggins and them swooped in and and secured the commitment 2020 uh, Taj tweet, which I think a lot of people saw this coming, but uh, boy, he looks like someone who's definitely going to have a, a position. Um, it's not one of those tweener guys. It seems like that his position may be that he's a tweener, and and that's exactly what they were looking for, someone who can do a little bit of different things. Yeah, he, he, when I spoke with Brian Snow, 24-7 Sports National Analyst, uh, yesterday, or excuse me, on Monday, he told me that tweet was bruising forward that played physical love defense could rebound he was the exact type of guy that you think of when you think of a bob huggins three or four um he can swing between those two positions he's gonna you know cause some trouble for opposing offenses for opposing forwards he can switch uh guard multiple positions um so that's Right up Huggins Alley. This is the type of guy you're looking at, you know, all the way down to the rankings. Have we been joking about Huggins relying on those mid to high three stars and kids that work hard and kids that have a chip on their shoulder? And this kid fits all of those categories. And finally, um, this is the one that's most interesting to me for a bunch of reasons. But Bridges, again, it, it didn't seem like this is going to happen. Um, and then it seemed like it was going to happen. And then it seems like he's going to be maybe playing this year i mean if you can briefly encapsulate this i don't know that you can but what the heck happened here 
I don't know. <laughs> no, okay. I, I mean, I do That's know. I, I got an idea of what's going on. I'm surprised that it happened like this because he was he was a member of the class of 2019. West Virginia wanted him. Uh, they kind of got in there late. They weren't in there late, excuse me. They, they pushed harder later. And at the, around that same time, a lot of other teams started showing interest with many of them asking him to wait until 2020 to go to prep school. Um, he did. He ended up deciding to wait, choosing to go to Scotland prep up in Pennsylvania was going to do a prep school year this year. And West Virginia apparently just kind of kept recruiting him maybe as a 2020, but once they got that extra scholarship, the one that was let's, let's call it vacated by Ethan Richardson who signed back in the spring, but what was not making it this year, West Virginia made a renewed run at him with the pitch. Come on, seriously, 2019 right now. And you can play. And I think right now there is still a question mark of whether he's enrolled. He's there. He's on campus. The school's announced him. He's on the roster. I think the real question here is, will he be eligible this year? Um, you know, with a late enrollment, it, it should. it's not going to be a forced redshirt uh, that I've seen some people discuss. I think it's, it's more of a question of, uh, you know, you have to be on campus at the start of the semester. And is there going to be a penalty for that? Is there going to be a penalty for being behind in classes or, or whatever they're having to deal with there. So, cause Bridges has said himself on social media that his playing status for this year, now, again, not his spot on the roster, not a spot on the team, not a scholarship. His playing status is to be determined for 2019. I would think that they have some Intel on this, but I would also say that we probably can't create any context clues in this because I would think being on scholarship at a power five program beats the heck out of being at a prep school. Yeah, I would think so. And I think I don't think either of them would have made this move, Bridges or WVU, if they didn't feel some kind of confidence about getting him on the court this season. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. But like we could we could say that and it would make sense. Like, why would he be here unless he's gonna play? But I also think being in Pennsylvania in a prep school is not as fun as being even a scout team player redshirt and getting your affairs in order here too. So I I do wonder. Um I have a theory. Go. Because um, I just got a text, and I, I don't think I can say who it's from. Um, they're going to go after a waiver for Gabe Osabuhin from the Arkansas transfer. Hmm. Um, would love to is the phrasing here that I'm looking at. Um, can we get the breaking news, Siren? <laughs> Um, but that's, I, I don't. I'm not like the guy from Police Academy. I don't. I don't have that up my sleeve. Ah, too bad. Which makes me think. I'm putting this together as we speak right now, and as people listen. Um, if they're doing that, does that mean that they know Bridges is good to go, and let's go with every bull in the chamber? Or does that mean we don't know slash we're not sure about Bridges? Let's try to get this guy a waiver because we could use him. Or does that mean hey, we can. Wave, have him give him a waiver and he can redshirt if he has to whatever I, I wonder now but my my hunch was that if they knew that bridges was good to go he'd be here um and now you're going to go for a waiver for gabe um that means hey let's jump we may not have oscar for more than a year we may not have Culver for more than another year um this is a pretty good core right now so why not strike when the opportunity is there to strike yeah i'm hey what are we here for if not wild specula- wild speculation and some reckless reporting? So I'm ready to, to jump on any any avenue you want to go, Mike. 
That is that is rub your hands together, buy season tickets, <laughs> Intel right there. Because yes. now it makes now it makes you wonder what are they doing when you see all these pieces come together and they obviously know more than we do. Um, I'm I'm stunned that Bridges is eligible. Like I I work in academics and I know add dates and drop dates and enrollment dates and I didn't know how it was going to happen. So when I was reading the headlines yesterday, I was like, oh, he'll enroll in January. Cool, he'll be eligible the following January um, or the following season. And nope. That's not the way <laughs> it turns out yeah. that he's actually taking classes right now. It's fascinating. So, uh, so let's go here now. Um, and, and this is going to be hard to answer in a short amount of time, but, um, if bridges gets on the floor, if Osabuin gets on the floor and I have no idea if I'm saying that right. I looked at the phonetic spelling and I found two different ones. So uh, let's call him Gabe from Arkansas. If one or both are eligible here, that obviously changes things. Are they impact players? Are they position players that just kind of have a role on the bench? How do you think it works? Well, I'm interested to see how Bridges would impact this roster in that first year. Um, when I spoke with with Brian Snow again from 24-7 Sports the other day, they, he, he mentioned that Bridges kind of falls in love with that three, isn't as physical as maybe he should be with his size and with his skill set, with his length. Um, so as good as he is, uh, it makes me wonder, what's his role with the current roster right now? in 2019, you know, just days after he arrives on campus. I'm not too sure. Gabe from Arkansas, that's a college-ready guy that's done it and, and has already had a role. It's not a big role, but I think he's someone that could fit into that eighth man coming off the bench, providing some excellent defense at, at a position of need for West Virginia. Yeah, I like that one. I think it's an experiment that I wrote about before, too. Uh, when I previously wrote about him, I had been told that they had not discussed a waiver with him, which makes what I'm telling you now about we'd love to have a waiver pretty interesting. Yeah. But because um, that means something has happened here, I think. So they haven't had a guy who just comes in and just like throws himself around and does stuff and doesn't look for glory. He's a low points, low minutes guy, but it does seem like he has the capacity to be kind of a bruiser and do some things that maybe you don't want. Um, a guy who can't afford to get foul trouble, who can't afford to be on the bench because he took a knee in the thigh, things like that. Um, hey, you're right. He's college ready. He can go. I think he helps for sure. Um, so, yeah, very interesting kind of uh, fun times here in what we think is football season. But, um, wow, things change certainly, and now the egg is on our face here. So <laughs> when we return, we will actually flip field position, talk about a little bit of football right after this. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. All right, we are back. We have the snap in our hands here, spinning it around, laces in our fingertips. I'm going to throw it over to Chris here for football conversation. And we've already talked about the game a little bit, 
but we have the couple of days and conference calls and press conferences and conversations and review and all that where everything changes because we have some information about what we actually saw and what people think about it. Do you feel any better, any worse, or any different based on our conversation, or excuse me, based on what you've heard from our conversation on Saturday night? Not really. I'm, I'm more curious about this Missouri, this comment that Neil Brown has made a couple times now about how he's expecting expecting a vastly different Missouri team than what we saw at week one. I, I, you know, I think that team that we saw at Wyoming is what Missouri is. I think they can move the ball on offense. I think uh, they have some pieces on defense, but have some weaknesses in that defensive run game. But my biggest question is, does West Virginia have the pieces in the offensive run game to take advantage of that? Um, maybe, uh, you know, he mentioned that he was very vanilla with his play calling, uh, that there were some things that they're going to work on that they're going to fix, switch up. Will it be enough that they can pull a Wyoming and run for 300 yards and seven yards per carry? I I don't know. Is that, are you taking anything from that? I'm curious about what's true and what's false here, because when you see what numbers like West Virginia's running game produced 24 carries 34 yards and you say all right new quarterback lots of new and young receivers we know the running game is strong they packed the box and made West Virginia run into seven or eight man fronts and didn't work out that's that's really not what happened it was not exotic boxes it was just that West Virginia did not create any gaps and James Madison you know did at times pressure and commit more to it but it wasn't anything wild it wasn't Iowa State necessarily that just kind of put the cones over the receivers and, and shut everything down, but West Virginia still couldn't run. Um, but it wasn't it wasn't like bare fronts and all sorts of exotic stuff. It was a good defensive line that just wouldn't move, um, and that's worrisome. I don't think it's entirely unexpected though, because one of the things that Brown said after the game was we had a hard time running in scrimmages. Now, is that apathy because you get tired of blocking the guy across me, or maybe you're just getting a habit of taking it easy on your teammate? You know, on the, the 24th practice before the game, possibly it could happen. But there, there has to be something different, more effective. Um, I think I kind of just maybe two times a guard pulled. It was mostly inside zone, outside zone. They can do motion and counters and all sorts of stuff. They didn't use a ton of H-back stuff or misdirection. But what concerns me a little bit is I'm not sure they have a tight end right now. We, we know it's going to be Wesco, but um, Kelby Wickline I think was okay against the run but he might need help on that side and you need to have a tight end who can do stuff and just didn't have what they wanted. Um, so that hurts, but there really wasn't anything for the running backs to pick out and to get going in. And that has to change. How can they do it? I'm sure they can, because there's no way Brown won 31 games and had the running numbers he did last year doing what we saw Saturday. I don't think it's going to happen like that again. And what about the passing game? You know, you, for those of our listeners here, uh, this is, kind of sort of a plug for VIP. Um, I'm sorry in advance, but Mike's Mike's film or fiction piece is a must read for anybody that, that follows West Virginia football and for any kind of uh, football minds out there. You, you went over with, with certain plays, uh, certain drives, and looked at the different personnel, uh, what Austin Kendall did and how maybe he wasn't that bad as some people might have thought, including maybe – uh, myself on Saturday evening, but and then we had Neil Brown come out and say today that he counted at least six drops from the receivers. Do you think there's going to be something different this weekend? Do you, do you think 
maybe a little more exotic play calling, a little uh, more aggressive pass plays, and, and just more statistic, more, more production. I think is really what everybody wants more than anything. Uh, I mean, I think it was okay. The first half, I just think he was rusty. <clears throat> Choking up here, I'm very emotional about this. <laughs> I just think he was kind of rusty. He didn't trigger some things, and he was trying to get in the groove early. And this is kind of a small thing, but the second play of the game, he throws a stick route to Simmons, and it just seemed like he wanted to stack complete passes and positive plays and get going, which I understand. Um, but that stuff will go away, and he'll get more comfortable. He didn't throw some balls that I think he could have. He missed some that I think that he knows he can complete. I'm not worried about that. The decisions, I think, were fine. He made some terrific throws where um, he put the ball where it had to be. He made some really good decisions where – he pumped one time, and instead of checking down, he got a first down on third and 12. So stuff like that's good, and he got better during the game. I don't think there's a whole lot you change about the pass game right now. It was it was pretty complex, and if you read that, Chris, and if you're going to read that listener, like you'll, you'll see there's a lot of stuff going on in the game, and I think it's going to take him time to get used to all the elements and all the, all the spinning dishes, so to speak, and I think he will, but it's also hard for a defense to do that, and I think what's cool about this is they're, they're sending you know five people out in the route sometimes, um, you know, not leaving protection and, and letting Kendall do something with it. It's hard to guard that stuff and to diagnose what's happening. It looks like that they have a lot of reads and options in their routes. So if I see this, I'm going to do this. So um, if you're a defender and you're conditioning yourself like, OK, you know, the Y is going to do this if I stay in here. Well, maybe that's what he did on the second eight play last week. But on the second eight play in Columbia, that's probably what that receiver wants you to think so if you lean this way he's going to go that way and take it from you so i think that's pretty cool the stuff where they're sweeping across this across the field causes a lot of traffic and a lot of confusion and i think they're going to hit some big plays on that but i do think the vertical stuff has to get better but i think it's just a matter of completing passes like they got a lot of stuff and sometimes i mean george campbell made some really good releases and just didn't get the ball thrown to him bryce sweeten made some good releases and either didn't catch it or didn't get the ball put where it had to be I think that stuff will come around. It's just timing and rust and stuff like that. But I don't think any of that stuff happens unless they can run the ball. So if you're in Missouri, what are you going to do? Are you just going to man up with your defensive line that got smoked by Wyoming last week and play really good pass defense? Probably not. You're probably going to make them try to run on you and then see if they can do anything in the passing game. So um, what concerns me is that it did look good. Um, and it looked better in the second half than the first. That's great. It's progress. It's adjustments. It's getting better as it happens, which is what Neil Brown wanted. But... I think that you have to make the things happen on the ground first. Because if you're looking at what are you going to take away from West Virginia right now, you're not taking away the run because it's not there. Well, and you can't run and you can't pass without someone blocking, um, obviously. Big problem. That, that's, that's VIP material right there, by the way. Um, what's the fix there? I mean, I, it, what caught my attention from today's presser was – Brown talking about how how well Colton McKibbitt's played, uh, grading out at ninety five percent, and then just leaving everyone, almost everyone else, out, saying he was that Colton McKibbitt's graded out. Uh, what was his rate? Far and away better than anybody else on the offensive line, or much higher than anybody on the offensive line. What's the fix? I, I know we've discussed it before. Should we move? Should they move guys around? Maybe Josh Sills out at right tackle, or are you concerned about? Um, you know, moving sills outside and then you're really weak on the inside. What What's your answer for the offensive line right now? Patience, I guess. I mean, you can go down the line and you can pick on the other four players. Uh, Brown had two pretty, pretty obvious misses in protection and he got Kendall hit. Um, I think sills is okay. He was largely uneventful, but 
it looked like he just wasn't quite sure. He, he wanted to be cautious rather than reckless, I think, which is fine. And I'm sure he'll grow out of that. I had no problem with Barron. Um, I thought he was good and he played all but two series. And, um, you know, he does things a little bit unconventionally. I think he's so strong that he can get away with maybe some non-technique plays. And then I mean, Wickline was kind of iffy in pass protection. I thought he was good in the run game. So there's good things there. I'm not sure that there's anybody taking those spots. And at this point, uh, with Barrett getting better, I think, at right guard, um, and with Wickline you know, being okay and hanging in there at right tackle, I'm not sure you move cells because I don't know who your center is, and that's obviously really important. I would not set that in stone yet. I would definitely make those three earn it you know, all the time if you can. Trouble is, you got to have people behind them to push them. So I don't think that exists right now. So it's going to take time. Um, I, I just think that it's going to be one of those things where they play more together. Remember, like not only are these guys young, but Sills has been the center for what three weeks, not even three, like three weeks now. That's not great. So it's going to take time there. Um, I don't think it was bad. It's got to get better, but I think what's, what's promising is that, I mean, they weren't getting out schemed, and letting free runs at Kendall and getting a whole bunch of TFLs. They just didn't play hard and play physical and move guys. If you're going to make me pick a problem out of a hat, mine would rather be we didn't move guys rather than we had no idea what we were doing. I think they know what they're doing. They just didn't do it with enough force or physicality. That'll come with them, especially if they get embarrassed in practice and in the film room and get mad about it and take it out on the team across from them on Saturday. So that can be good if they make something good out of it. All right, let's uh, get ready to wrap this up. And I, I got one question for you, and it is pick one thing that has to happen on Saturday. One stat, one, say, position battle for West Virginia to win the game. What turnovers. Is the, the turnovers, is, turnovers is lazy, but, like, that game really swung for, for Missouri the other night when Bryant made a really bad decision and then and, and the, in the end zone, no less. So it went from being a touchdown drive to a touchback. And that was a big deal. So, like, I think that's important, too. Um, but I would say – so that's an obvious one. But I think West Virginia needs to hit – I would say, like, let's say four to six big plays because I think they're going to have a hard time piecing together 12-play drives. And, again, if you go 10 plays, 30 yards, and 11 plays, 53 yards for field goals, you're probably not going to win that game, especially if you think that Missouri is going to be better. Um, so that would be good. Um, so if you can do that, I would say four to six big plays. That would be really important. And also – Missouri sooner or later is, is going to come to the realization that this year is not what it is. If you can make that happen sooner, I mean, they, they wanted to make it awkward on people by having a good season. Um, starting 0-1 for a team that cannot be bowl eligible is pretty bad. And now they go to home, and if they go 0-2, the season is going to take a downturn. And if you can accelerate that for them, that'd be great. But that means you got to start real hot. So my one answer would be make big plays. But if you can do those big plays early, you probably have a good chance. All right, Mike, I think that covers it for now. Uh, we're going to put this up on a Wednesday morning and Friday morning. I'll have a special guest from Columbia, Missouri, uh, to help us preview Saturday's game. Um, I am Chris Anderson. I am looking at my cell phone again, Mike Casaza. <laughs> no, no more breaking news before we go? No, this is actually uh, – no, it's not. Sorry. Okay. All right, and thank you all for listening. See you on Friday.